But I'd like to start off by having you think about um, times in your life where you would say you are suffering, okay? Or a difficulty that you have gone through or, or a hardship uh, in your life. And I'd like you to think about just two things and, and even get an answer in your mind. And the first is I'd like you to think about in that suffering, what do you trust in? What do you, what's your, uh, the immediate thing you run to? Maybe it's a person. Uh, maybe it's um, your own mind. You're trying to, to come up with a solution, to fix the situation, to make things better. What do you trust in? And then my second thing I'd like you to think about um, a time of suffering is how do you conduct yourself in that suffering? How do you act? How do you respond? How do you... Um, live your life while you're going through that hardship. So think about what do you trust in? How do you conduct yourself in that suffering? And tonight in our passage, we're going to see a specific instance or type of suffering, and that is someone is being attacked. Um, maybe in this passage, it could be physically, but uh, certainly with um, their words, they're being attacked, and that's the type of hardship they're dealing with. And tonight, our passage uh, is in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a section of Scripture where God's Word and how one relates to it in life is the focus of many, many verses within it. There's not too many verses in the whole chapter of Psalm 119 that doesn't talk about God's Word. Psalm 119 is a psalm that is obviously written by someone who's experiencing suffering. They're experiencing this hardship, this difficulty. They are struggling in Psalm 119 as they write it. And in Psalm 119, we see how they run to God in that hardship, in that struggle. So tonight, we find the psalmist in Psalm 119 is being attacked, and we find a balance in him of asking for it to be ended, and striving to be faithful to the Lord till it is. So that is our theme. That is the theme at the top of your handout. The psalmist is being attacked, and we find a balance in him of asking for it to be ended and striving to be faithful to the Lord till it is. So maybe that first part is often what we do. We look for it to be ended, but there's more to it, and we see this balance in the psalmist this evening. So what I want to start off by doing is just read this section for us. I think it's sometimes helpful to get the whole passage in view, and then we'll look at it verse by verse. So look with me at Psalm 119, 121 through 128. It says this, I've done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. So the psalmist begins by declaring how he conducts himself in this suffering. And we'll look first at the very first phrase or the very first line of Psalm 119 in this passage, verse 121, if you look with me there. Psalm 119, 121 says again, I have done what is just and right. I've done what is just and right. And what the psalmist means by this is he's trying to make clear that he has done the correct thing. All right, and in, in the context of all of Psalm 119, this means that he's obeyed the word of God. 
That is what is meant by doing what is just and right, that he's done the right thing. He's done the correct thing in his conduct, in his life. He hasn't sinned uh, in that time. He's trying to make very clear that he has done nothing to deserve this treatment. So we're going to see that he's being attacked, he's being oppressed, and he's trying to say right here from the start, I haven't done anything to deserve this. So he's saying, I'm innocent. I've done no wrong. I haven't hurt them. I haven't done anything to cause me to be treated this way. And even further, by saying, I have done what is just and right, it seems the psalmist is saying he hasn't sinned in this suffering. So he's been attacked, and he hasn't sinned back. Maybe in retaliation or talking badly on those people, he hasn't stooped to their level and sinned as they did. So the psalmist, by saying, I have done what is just and right, to open our section, is saying first that he hasn't sinned to cause his suffering, and then second, he has not sinned in his suffering. Two sections ago before our section tonight in Psalm 119, I worked through that section, and it is a similar one to this. There's a lot of the same themes, a lot of the same points being made, and as I finished that sermon on that section of Psalm 119, I used the character in the Bible, Daniel, to illustrate his suffering and his being faithful to God and his word in that suffering. And tonight I want to give us a different illustration, a different example, a biblical example of exactly what we see here in this verse, but even in the remainder of our passage, and that is Jesus in his life, and especially when he went to the cross. So I have there for you 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25, Jesus' disciple Peter talks about Jesus' example in suffering. So I want to read through this all at one shot, but I'll pause throughout just to make a few comments, maybe clarify things or, or bring things out for us. So look with me at 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. We see something similar to our section of Psalm 119. It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. I want to pause there for a moment. Okay, that's exactly what we're seeing in this first line of Psalm 119, 121. This suffering unjustly. The psalmist is doing what is just and right. And here in 1 Peter, it's talking about this suffering unjustly. Doing nothing to deserve the suffering, the hardship that you're getting. Look at verse 20, it says, For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And then verse 21 says, For to this you have been called. So as Christians, we're called to suffer unjustly, to, to experience hardship and difficulty, and we haven't done a thing to deserve it. Further in verse 21, or in 21 it says, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So what I want us to see here is the example of Jesus. That here, Peter is talking about, he's saying to the Christians that they are to suffer 
unjustly, that they're to experience suffering because of nothing that they have done, they haven't deserved it, and he's saying, Christ did this for you. Christ went through suffering and hardship, and he certainly didn't deserve it. And then even further, starting at verse 22, we're told that he had no sin in this suffering, that he is attacked, that he was mocked, that he's put on this cross, and he didn't retaliate. He didn't sin back. So we get an example here of Jesus. Jesus, as he was arrested, mocked, beaten, and then hung on that cross, was innocent. He deserved none of it. Jesus, as he was arrested, mocked, beaten, and then hung on that cross, did not sin. He continued to obey God through his suffering. We see the same exact ideas or challenges in our uh, passage of Psalm 119. One other thing I want you to notice, because it's going to become um, important in a few moments for our section of Psalm 119, is verses 19 and 23. If you look with me there, 1 Peter 2 and then skip to verse 19, and then I'll verse, read verse 23. We see another component that's going to come up. Verse 19 says, for this, you, for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. When mindful of God, and then we get kind of an elaboration or a um, more detailed uh, explanation of what it means to be mindful of God. If you skip down to verse 23, it says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. And then we get this, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We're going to see this exact same thing talked about in Psalm 119 in our section, but we see here that in Jesus' suffering, he trusted in God. His mind was on God, relying on God, and we're going to be challenged in that same way from our passage tonight. But now for some application of, off of this first line of Psalm 119, 121. I want you to consider your life. And first, can you with the psalmist and Jesus say you are suffering undeservedly? And what I mean by that is that you are not being punished for sin. It's not that you've disobeyed and now you're reaping the consequences. But the, the hardship, the difficulty that you're dealing with um, has come not because of anything you have done. You've been living in obedience and have lived faithfully. And people are attacking you still for no good reason. And then two, my question is, how are you responding to that suffering? Have you retaliated? Have you sinned in response? Have you talked bad on them? Are you harboring bitter thoughts toward the person causing you suffering? And then three, as Christians, we are to live. This is what we find here in this line of verse 121. As Christians, we are to live in obedience to the word of God so that our suffering is undeserved, but also we are to live in obedience to the word of God despite the suffering we're experiencing. That's what we see as the psalmist starts off. Move on to our second section, and, and we move on in Psalm 119, and we see the psalmist goes on to ask God to deliver him from his attackers. And we see this comes in the next couple of lines, the ne next couple of verses, Psalm 119, 121b through verse 123. And what we find in these next couple of verses is we find the psalmist crying out to God for help. He's looking for deliverances in his suffering, and the psalmist makes very clear that he's being attacked by people. People that are trying to harm him, and by the urgency with which he, he calls on God, uh, we can get the idea that this is weighing on him greatly. So we see four things that the psalmist prays concerning his attackers. 
letter A, the psalmist prays that God would intervene. If you look with me at Psalm 119, 121, again, it says, I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. The psalmist is asking God to intervene. He's asking God to step in. He doesn't want to be left in the hands and at the will of these attackers. It may have seemed that he, he was really at the mercy, at their mercy, and, and he wanted God to step in, and he wanted him to help him. B, the psalmist prays that God would promise to be good to him. Psalm 120, 119, 122 says, Give your servant a pledge of good. So he's saying, God, promise me that you're looking out for my good, that you will do what is good for me, that you will seek the best of me or for me. See, the psalmist prays that God would stop these people from attacking him. It says in verse 122 in the second half, give your servant a pledge of good, let not the insolent oppress me. The insolent is speaking of these attackers, these oppressors. They're people that are proud, they're arrogant. Uh, and he says, let not the insolent oppress me. So he said in one, verse 121, God step in. He's asking God to intervene. And now seems like he can't take it anymore. And he's asking God to stop it entirely. Let not the insolent oppress me. And then we come to D. The psalmist is having trouble seeing any salvation in sight. Psalm 119, 123 says, My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. So I want to take a few moments to explain this verse because maybe what it seems like it's saying um, might not be entirely uh, the idea that is being, uh, the psalmist is trying to get across here. When he says, My lo eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. We've seen in the last two verses that the psalmist is looking to the Lord, he's praying, on the, praying to the Lord for the Lord's deliverance, and here we see this is communicated, but it also shows the difficulty and the despair that he's experiencing. And as I said, that might not be obvious at first, but when we look at what the phrase long for means, we start to see this difficulty and this despair. The, the phrase longed for, that his eyes longed for, actually speaks of failing. Long for speaks of failing, of becoming weak. So it's, my eyes failed in looking for your salvation. His eyes became weak as he, he looked for the salvation of the Lord. We can literally uh, say that verse 23 says, my eyes fail for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. It's to give you an idea of what, or a picture of what he's saying, it's like if you're at the zoo, okay, and you're with someone else, and you see an animal up there in the cage, and you can see it clearly, you see it crawling around, but the person next to you, that you're trying to get them to see it, either that animal's too small, or it's blending in, and, and they can't see it at all. Their eyes are failing them uh, in not being able to see that animal. They're straining, they're looking, and, and they just can't see that animal. And that seems to be the idea here that the psalmist is looking to God. He's trusting in God that God would save him, but he doesn't see that salvation anywhere in sight. It seems that the psalmist is trying to say that he's looking for God's deliverance. He's called for God to deliver him, that he's even expecting God to save him, and he's relying on him. But God hasn't yet, and he sees no end in sight. No deliverance has come. He is despaired, and he's struggling 
with what he's going through. This verse also seems to make it, or seems to be trying to get across that the psalmist is dealing with this for a time. It's not just a one-time thing. It didn't just happen over a week, but it's been for a while that this has been going on, and, and as his eyes failed to see God's salvation, it seems like this is going on for a period of time. Go to E and think about some application. And the point of application that I want to bring out is a very, very simple point. It, it almost might seem not worthy um, of being said because we'd say we know this. We already know this. But I want to bring it up because I don't know how much we actually do it or how often it's the first thing that we do. The psalmist here, he's experiencing suffering. He's being attacked. He's being hurt. He's in despair. And he prays to God. And my question to us, is that our response? To turn to God, to look to God, to trust in God for his help, for him to deliver us when we're being attacked. When someone's gossiping about you, is your first uh, reaction or your first response to go to the Lord in prayer? Okay, it hurts when someone's gossiping about us and we find out about it. Is your first reaction to go to the Lord and actually pray about it? Maybe when someone starts spreading rumors about you, or someone's mocking you or ridiculing you, do you pray to God for his help and his intervention? And that's what we see here with the psalmist. And even to connect this to some of the study that we've done in the, the morning uh, over the past year or two, Pastor Reed's preached through First and Second Samuel, and in that you really get an idea um, or you get to see David's life in its entirety, as Pastor Reed preached through First and Second Samuel, and we saw the ups and the downs of, I think I might have said Daniel, I meant David. But we saw the ups and the downs of King David, and especially when King Saul was out to get him, King Saul was attacking him, he was oppressing him, he was after him trying to kill him. We saw the ups and the downs of David's trust. We saw at times David trusted greatly. He was trusting the Lord. He was relying on God, looking to him immediately. But then at other times, we saw David instead trusting in himself or in other people uh, and trying to get out of situations by not relying on the Lord. And we do the same exact thing. As Pastor Reed preached through that, I know I was convicted often of how my life is often like David. But we see here the psalmist and his life and his example is a challenge to us to look to the Lord, to pray to the Lord, as it's so easy to forget that we have a God to look to and run to in times of difficulty. And we're challenged to pray to Him, to trust in Him and His timing and His deliverance when we are being attacked and being oppressed by others. Go to three. Roman numeral number three. As we move on to verse 124, we'd expect the first part, as we're going to look in a moment, um, to kind of be continuing this request for deliverance and for help. But instead, number three, we see it as a request that ultimately will lead him to obeying God's word. Psalm 119, 124 through 125 is the section. We'll start with letter A. The psalmist asked God to act favorably upon him due to his relationship with him. If you look with me at Verse 124, the first half, it says, Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. If we stop there, we'd expect him to just be continuing on with this, this prayer of deliverance, this prayer for help. God, show your love to me. Show your mercy to me. Be committed to me because of our relationship. But we see it's a little bit of a different request. 
um, as we look at the second half, letter B, the psalmist is asking God to deal with him specifically by teaching him his word so that he could obey it. Look with me at Psalm 119, 124, and 125. It says, deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. How's he to show this love? He says, and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. All right, so this is a new thought, okay? So he's been asking for deliverance. He's been asking for help. And now we get a request that he's being asked to, to be taught the word of God. He's in despair. He's weak. He's struggling. And this might not be what we'd expect him to ask for, to be taught the word of God. It's a surprising thing that the psalmist requests that God would teach him, that God would help him to understand his word. He's being attacked. His life might be on the line, or at the very least, his reputation. We see the psalmist's desire to learn God's word so that he can follow it and so that he can obey it in his suffering. And, my, and the point of application I want to bring out here is when you experience suffering, are you thinking about obeying God? Are you asking yourself, how can I be faithful in this time of suffering? As this person attacks me, as they oppress me, how can I be faithful? Are you asking yourself what it would look like to obey God in this situation? Are you in the Bible? Are you reading it? Are you praying that God would teach you from it to live faithfully for Him in this situation? Even do you make sure you're sitting under the preaching and the teaching of God's Word as you're experiencing suffering to learn what God's Word says so you can live it out? And my question is, is this your desire in suffering? We see it's the psalmist's desire in all of this. He's asking for deliverance, he's asking for help, and then he comes out unexpectedly and says, teach me your statutes, ultimately so that he can obey them. Not just know them, but actually obey them as well. And, and as I was studying this, I know for myself, as I thought about suffering that I've dealt with, when people have attacked me, my mind is much more consumed with the hurt that comes from that person attacking me. Or I'm thinking about how I can respond or uh, maybe how I can hurt them back. Or I'm thinking about how wrong they are, okay? how, how they've wronged me and, and how they shouldn't have done that. And my mind is consumed on them in this situation. My mind is often solely on that person in this situation rather than God and his word like we see here for the psalmist. This is definitely something I know I need to pray for in my own life. And my question is, will you pray for this as well in your own life? That God would cause you to be more focused on how you are living, if you're living faithfully in this suffering, rather than the suffering itself. Look with me at C, and we'll look again at verse 124 and 125, and I want you to notice how the psalmist describes himself. Starting at verse 124, it says, Deal with your servant, your servant, according to your steadfast love, and teach me your statutes. And then verse 125, I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. He describes himself as a servant. Okay, and we see this not only in 124 and 125, but we actually already saw this in 122. It said, give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. Anytime we see repetition like this, 
Okay, really anywhere in the Bible, but here in Psalm 119, all right, we don't see your servant, your servant mentioned over and over and over again in any of the other sections. So it should uh, be something that tracks our attention. We think, should think, why is he calling himself a servant here? And I believe it is to just emphasize the point he's trying, or the thing he's trying to say here, that he's a servant, that he is there to work, to labor, to serve God. And it only emphasizes even more this desire and this aim in his suffering to be obedient, to be faithful to God. So my question of application for us is in our suffering, do we remember we are servants of God? That we should be seeking to serve him with how we live in that suffering, how we respond, how we treat the person attacking us. Often, I think we aren't looking out for God in our suffering, but rather we're looking out for ourselves. Okay? We're serving ourselves. We're looking out for ourselves to defend ourselves rather than seeking to serve God, looking out for Him and His honor and His glory. So just like with this point for verses 124 and 125, it was kind of maybe unexpected or it went in a different direction than we would have expected, Verse 126 does the same thing. We, he talks about something or he says something that we may not have expected. So we'll go to 4. The psalmist straightforwardly calls God to do something. And this comes from verse 126 and begin by reading that first half. It says, It is time for the Lord to act. It is time for the Lord to act is what the psalmist says in letter A. This might be unexpected and even it might seem a bit too straightforward. It seems a little too forthright and even demanding that the psalmist would call God to act. And when we think about this, okay, it might surprise us. We might think you shouldn't be doing this. But if you think about yourself, if you think about how you pray to God when you're struggling, if you're asking for help and suffering, I think often we might be even more bold. We might even be more demanding and tell God exactly how to act what we think is best. But here the psalmist is simply saying, God, do something. And even as we think about this, I, I don't think we should take this in a negative way or think that the psalmist is being disrespectful here, but instead, I think we should come back to how he describes himself. He sees himself as a servant to God. He realizes his position. He realizes where he stands in his relationship with God. So I don't believe this is said as if the psalmist thinks he's in charge of God or that he needs to tell God what to do. But I think this is kind of out of desperation. He's struggling. He's in despair. But even more so, okay, again, kind of unexpectedly, we find out why he says it is time for the Lord to act. And even more so, I'd say this is the reason it's not disrespectful, as we find the reason why in letter B, why the psalmist says what he does. We may have expected him to say, do something for, I cannot hold on much longer. Do something for, this has gone on too long. Do something for, I don't deserve this suffering. Do something for, I'm scared, I'm about to, to lose my reputation and my name. But instead, he says, do this for. Your law has been broken. If you look again at verse 126, it says, It is time for the Lord to act. Why does he say this? Why does the Lord need to act? For 
your law has been broken. The psalmist's concern is that God's law has not been kept, that his word was not followed. The psalmist here unexpectedly but ultimately is concerned about the honor and the glory of God, not his honor and glory. Kind of as I went, as I already talked about with him calling himself a servant in his suffering. Okay, he does something probably very different than we often do. He's not looking out for his name, his reputation, his honor, his glory, but he's looking out for the honor and the glory of God as he says, for your law has been broken. So application, again, this should cause us to think about when we have been attacked in the past and we've asked God to intervene. What was your reason? Was it only your well-being that you were looking out for? Or did you think about how this was going against God and his word? Go to our last point, five. After seeing God's word rejected, it drives the psalmist to value it all the more. And this comes from verses 127 and 128. Okay, first we see the connection, letter A. The connection with these last two verses, we see it connects to verse 26. And it's with a key word that begins both of them. If you look with me at Psalm 119, 127, it says, Therefore, therefore I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. And then verse 28, we get the same exact word that starts it out. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. So the psalmist is saying because of this, for that reason, he loves God, God's word and he considers his word right. That's what he means by therefore. He's connecting it back to the previous things that have been said and, and especially verse 126. He's saying therefore, because of this, because your law has been broken, I love your word. And he considers his word right. Because he has seen someone dishonor and reject God's word, he is going to do the opposite. He's going to live out his loyalty and his commitment to it. It's like when someone, and maybe you've had this experience, maybe you had, had this experience in school. It's like when someone's being picked on by someone else and you're close to that person that's being picked on. You have a relationship with them uh, and you experience them being picked on and they're being made fun of and you go stand by their side. You may even stand in front of them to show that you are on their side, that you will defend them. You could have, if you think about it, you could have went and joined those people that were mocking them and making fun of them. You could have even just stand off, stood off to the side and just watched, stayed back, stayed out of it, not got involved. But instead, you stand by them, you stick up for them, and you tell those people, that's not cool. The psalmist here could have joined in and disobeyed the word of God with these oppressors. These people who are attacking him, he could have even joined in with them, both by maybe joining them in the sinful things they do, or he could have joined in by retaliating, by sinning back against them. The psalmist could have pulled away from God and his word. He could have let this suffering and his attackers drive him away from his relationship with the Lord and his word. But in our closing verses, this is how the psalmist chooses to close. We are told that it drives him to be loyal and obedient and committed to the word of God. So the application for us, as we just think about this generally, before we look at these two verses in specific, is when you see people disobey, 
does it drive you to obey all the more? When you see people not being committed to the Word of God, you see them sinning, does it drive you to be more committed to the Bible? Or do you follow them and join in their sin? Or does it lead you to sin for yourself, maybe by judging them? You see them disobeying, so you judge them. Or you gossip about them, or you retaliate against them. Or does it cause you to become distant and unwilling to be committed to God and His Word because of this suffering you're dealing with? We should be challenged by the psalmist's response to people breaking God's law to make sure we keep God's law. Look with me at B. Okay? We look, we'll look at these two verses in more depth. Verse 27, 127, we see the psalmist is loyal and committed to the word of God, and he shows this with a pretty big comparison. If you look with me at verse 127, it says, Therefore I love your commandments above gold. Above fine gold. So we see the psalmist is talking about how he relates to the word and is committed to the word, and he shows how he values it. And he says he values it more than money, which is a pretty big thing to say. He's actually already said something similar, if not the same, in twice in Psalm 119 already. If you look with me at Psalm 119, verse 14, it says, In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. And then verse 72, the psalmist already said, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So the application for us, okay, I want you to think about your own life. When we're honest with ourselves, we value money, okay? Money means a lot to us. We work, and we work hard for a paycheck. We save up for things we want to buy or things we want to do. We think about the money we have. We think about what we could do with it, how we should save it better. Maybe we make goals for ourselves. We put a great time in, great amount of time into making money. We even make sacrifices so that we have more and more money. It's easy to become obsessed with our money. As we think about how we treat money, how we value money, my question is, do we treat God's word the same way? Even number one, as I ask, do we value and love God's word like we do our money? And even further, we see here, it's not just the same as our money, but the psalmist says that he values it above gold. Can we say the same thing as I have there in two, that we love the Bible over our paycheck. Just think about the time you put into making a paycheck. The thought you place on saving up and having a budget. Do you put that amount of time into the Bible, reading it, thinking about it, obeying it? That's the example we get of the psalmist. That's how we should be challenged from his life to dr be driven to value God's word. And then the second and it's our last verse in the passage is verse 128 and we see C that the psalmist is loyal and committed to the word of God and that it is what guides how he lives his life. Verse 128 says, Therefore I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. So we see in verse 128 how the psalmist is loyal and committed to the word of God in that it is what guides how he lives his life. He says that he views God's word as right, he sees it as correct, it's the best way for him to live, and he hates and he rejects the opposite way of living as he says, I hate every false way. 
So he hasn't been led to follow his attacker's ways or join them, but he says he hates, he rejects, he despises sin in living contrary to the word of God. So application number one, we may say that we believe God's word is right, that it is the correct way to live, but do we show that in the way we live our life? And then secondly, how do you feel about and treat sin? Do you hate it? Do you despise it? Do you reject it in your life? And this goes beyond uh, not just doing it because you know it's wrong. You realize it goes against God's word. You realize the consequences. Do you hate sin and disobedience? So as we close, this is the 16th section of Psalm 119, and we should be challenged in this section in our suffering. When someone is attacking us, someone is trying to hurt us, someone's trying to smear our name in the mud, to first seek to live a life of obedience and faithfulness to God, to sit under his word, to be instructed of how we should live in this suffering. And then secondly, we see we are to look to God, to rely on him, to trust in him in the midst of this suffering. So we see we are to obey, and we are to trust in our suffering. We are to trust and obey is really the message that we get here from this section. Maybe this evening you in your life are dealing with a situation just like the psalmist. Maybe this is very practical and a lot of these things have related to you think, man, I'm dealing with exactly that. Seek to put this into practice right here, right now. Maybe you're not experiencing something like, like this and you think, oh, I can think of some other times I've dealt with this, but not right now. Put this passage in your pocket. Okay? All of Psalm 119, really. Keep it in your pack pocket when you are attacked, which you will be attacked, when you're dealing with hurt from someone, someone's gossiping about you. You're smearing your name in the mud. Pull this out and be challenged by it because it goes against our natural way of dealing with suffering. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, I just thank you for this passage. I thank you for how it addresses and even gives an example of how we should live when we're being attacked, when we're being oppressed, when people are out to hurt us or even just to destroy our reputation. And Lord, I thank you for the example of the psalmist as the things that he does, uh, the way that he looks to you and prays to you and the way that he's concerned about his faithfulness is often not our concern or how we deal with our suffering. And Lord, challenge us. Uh, ingrain this passage in us so that when we deal with these types of things that we would li live faithfully for you. Put these things on our minds even now for dealing with the situation. Uh, Lord, help us to be faithful to you at all times in the good and in the bad. Lord, I just thank you for uh, just really the, the challenges even that we get from your son's life. Jesus Christ as he went to the cross and how he did this innocently but also didn't sin on that cross. And Lord, I pray that we would follow his example in suffering unjustly. Lord, just thank you for bringing us together uh, this evening. I pray that you would just help our fellowship uh, just after this service. And, and Lord, be with our weeks. Help us to be lights for you in this world as we go to work, as with, we're with friends or on vacation. Uh, Lord, help us to um, live a different life for your honor and for your glory. And in your name I pray, amen.